right. Hey, do me a favor. Get to John chapter 5. We've been in John chapter 5 a, a couple weeks. We've been in a little mini-series, which went from one message to two messages into three, entitled Spiritually Disabled. And uh, we've been looking at John chapter 5. And I'm just going to give a quick overview before we jump into our last point. But if you remember, recall, uh, we've been talking about being spiritually disabled based on Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And he's in Jerusalem and he goes to a pool called Bethesda. And at this pool, as verse 3 says, there is a multitude of invalids or a multitude of, of disabled people. And these disabled people, it says they were, they were blind. They couldn't see. They were lame. They couldn't walk. And, and they were paralyzed. They couldn't move. And Jesus is, is here. And, and I, I took this, and I, if you remember the, the first main point, I said that being disabled just isn't about being physically disabled, that you can also be spiritually disabled. And, and spiritually speaking, we can be spiritually blind. And, and we don't see the truth of of our sin, we don't see the truth of the gospel, we don't see the truth of who Jesus is, why we, we don't see any of that because we're spiritually blind. But as a believer, you're not spiritually blind, but you can still be spiritually disabled. You can have, get to a place where you just feel like you're not walking, you're not moving, um, you're, 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 you're kind of stuck, you're kind of like, I, I, I want to go to church, I don't want to go to church, I, I want to worship, I really don't want to worship, I, I, I don't feel like reading, really reading anymore, the, I, you just... You're just kind of, you ever feel like that? Just spiritually funked? Like, man, something's wrong, but I, I don't know what it is. Well, spiritually, just being spiritually disabled can cause that. And, and the goal of these messages, and my hope and my prayer is, is that as Jesus asked this guy, that the second point of the, the, the message that I've been preaching was, Jesus asked this guy, do you want to be healed? And I hope that's you, that if you feel you're in a spiritual funk, you're, you're spiritually disabled, that part of you is saying, I don't want to be here anymore, God. You're praying, Jesus, help me. You know, I, I don't want to be disabled spiritually any longer. And, and, and I started looking at, we started looking at, here's some ways to help us to get out of, if, you're, if you know, you can look at yourself and you admit it, I am spiritually disabled. Man, I'm broken inside. There's something wrong with me. And you can come to that place where you admit it. Some things we can start doing. One is when Jesus said, get up, take your mat and walk, the guy heard that and he responded to what Jesus said. The same goes for you and me. When we come to that place, you can admit that you're spiritually disabled. It's God's word that is going to continue to help us heal spiritually. Because the word of God gets in us. The words of Christ gets in us. And that does the work that needs to happen. And as you and I continue to respond to it, healing will come. Last week, we looked at how spiritual healing comes when we eliminate man-made legalistic rules and regulations. And we looked at a lot of that last week. And some of you came up to me and were like, that was me for so long. Because how many of you know, a lot of churches, denominations, pastors, man, we make a lot of rules because that's what the Pharisees did. This guy was healed. He, he listened to Jesus, obeyed Jesus, took his mat, started carrying it. And the Pharisees were like, well, time out, dude. You can't be carrying that on the Sabbath. You're breaking the law. You're breaking the rules. You don't do that. 
Well, how many of you grew up in a church where the church had a lot of rules? And, and you couldn't do certain things. You couldn't act certain. You couldn't go to certain places. You, you don't do that because you don't act that way. You don't do that as a Christian. But the reality is there's nothing in the Bible that says it. Okay? A lot of man-made legalistic rules and regulations. And that can keep us spiritually disabled. Well, today I want to give us one more thing about spiritually disability and how you can be healed. And here it is. If you want to experience healing when you're spiritually disabled, it's this. Number five, having a healthy view of sin brings spiritual healing. Having a healthy view of sin brings spiritual healing. Now, this entire message is only based on one verse today, and it's verse 14. So the man has been healed. We know that Jesus had withdrawn because of the crowd. The man, he, he got up, he started walking, he's been carrying his mat. The Pharisees went after him. And then in verse 14, it says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. If you want to be healed and be healthy spiritually, guess what you need to have? A good, healthy view about sin. Because sin does nothing but hurt us. Sin is destructive. Sin, how many of you know, um, the devil doesn't tempt us with sin because he's trying to bring good into your life. All right? Sin brings nothing but trouble, heartache, and pain. There's nothing good about sin. There's nothing that, that, that when you sin, you come out of it going, I feel better. I think the life is better now that, that I, I've sinned. No. Sin does nothing but keep you spiritually stuck. It, it keeps you spiritually enchained and imprisoned. And it keeps you spiritually disabled. And so today, I want to talk about how you and I can have a good view of sin. Because today's message is not just talking about sin, okay? Today's message is talking about your view of sin. Because how many of you know your view of sin affects what you do with sin? And so today, I want to talk about three things about having a healthy view of sin. And so here's the first thing about having a healthy view. Having a healthy view means knowing sin has earthly and eternal consequences. A healthy view of sin means I know that sin has both earthly and eternal consequences. And that's what Jesus says to this guy after he finds him. He says, see, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Notice Jesus says, uh, there's a couple of things about this that Jesus is saying here. One is notice he says, sin no more. So if he's saying sin no more, what does that obviously mean? He was already sinning. And Jesus is saying, now I want you to stop it. Don't be doing that anymore. But then notice um, Jesus says, so he says, sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. So Jesus, the first thing of this statement that is... It, 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 relates to us is this Jesus is correlating and making a connection between what is wrong with the man and his sin 
He's like, I don't, he's like, sin no more means you've been sinning, so you need to stop, or something worse will happen to you. So Jesus is like, you're, you've been paralyzed, you've been, you've been disabled for 38 years because of sin in your life. You were living a life that something happened, and you found, you ended up this way. And now Jesus is like, now you need to stop sinning so nothing worse may happen to you. So Jesus is saying, dude, you, you lived a life apart from God at one time. You, you, were, you were like doing things that how you wanted. Because how many of you know that's what sin is? Sin is simply me living how I want. So the, Jesus is like, you were living how you wanted. Where you wanted. You did what you wanted, when you wanted, how you wanted, where you wanted. You did life how you wanted. You lived for yourself. You, you disregarded God. You disregarded God's law. You disregarded, God, re, disregarded his word. And you lived for yourself. That's sin. And that sin brought problems into your life. You and I do the exact same thing. That's what sin is. Sin is you and I saying, I don't need to do it God's way. Sin is saying, I will live according to my terms. Sin is saying, I will live according to how I want, when I want, where I want. I will do what I feel like. Okay? That is sin. Sin is disregarding God, disregarding his word, saying God doesn't know better, I do. And the moment you and I start making decisions and choices and acting and living how on our terms and not God's, that is sin. And, and what Jesus is telling this guy and what we can glean from this guy is this. We need to understand that when we choose to sin, when we choose to live life on our terms, how we want, I want to act this way, we need to understand that there will be earthly consequences coming into our life. All right? We will reap those actions, reap negative things into our life. We just need to know that. Okay? And Jesus is making this clear to this guy. He's like, you reaped a very bad negative thing in your life because of the sin in your life. And the Bible makes this very clear to you and me. The Bible shows us that there is a correlation between sin and negative effects of that sin in our life. You know, in the book of Psalm, chapter 119, verse 67... King David writes this. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You see, David was like, you know what? There was a time in my life when I was like, you know what? I know better than God. I'm going to live how I want. I'm going to act how I want. I'm going to do what I want. And, and he went astray, meaning he, 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 he left what God said. I'm not going to do what God says. I'm going to live my own life. And um, he was afflicted. Because he says, he goes, before I was afflicted, I went astray. So him going astray brought affliction into his life. So the question is, is what did he do and what was the affliction? I believe this verse goes back to his time with Bathsheba. Because here he was and he saw a beautiful woman and he took her for himself knowing that she was married. Had her husband sent to the front lines on purpose so he could be killed. And then he takes Bathsheba as his own wife. And then he lies about it. And he gets her pregnant. You see, that was the going astray. 
He knew he shouldn't have done that. He was supposed to be a man after God's own heart. He knew what the law of God said. He knew having an affair means I should be stoned. He knew it. He knew what God's word said, but he ignored it and he went astray. And he did his own thing, did how he wanted, lived how he wanted, and he reaped the consequence of that. The affliction was after Bathsheba gave birth to the son, the child died. It was after the death of the child that David got his life right again. And he got back to God. And that's what he says. After I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I follow God's word. He's like, I'm going to do it God's way. Because when I did it my way, I messed it up. Look at these two verses coming up on the screen. I used this verse a number of weeks ago when I talked about why there was so much suffering in the world. But it's such a, a, a powerful verse for us to know. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And I explained this a few weeks ago. I'll explain it again. When he says... You reap what you sow, meaning how you live, you're going to get the consequences from that. And he says, so if you live to, for the flesh, meaning you live for self, you live for sin, you live apart from God, you make decisions apart from God, you just do what you want, you live your life on your terms, he goes, I'm telling you, you will reap destruction. Negative, you're going to feel the negative effect of sin very quickly. Sin brings nothing but negative things into our life. The bad things, the horrible things, the destructive things. That's what sin does. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. A backslider is someone who says, I know who God is. I know what his word says, but I don't want to live for it. And we start to live apart from God. We start to live, we live life on a my turn. I know what God's word says, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, where I want. And so when we start to do that as a backslider, I start to live apart from God. I will reap that. I'm going to see that fruit come into my life. I'm going to bear that fruit. I'm going to reap that harvest. It's the negative and the negativity and it's the, the consequences, the bad things that come into our life. You know, I've sat and thought about this. How many families are broken and torn apart because of abuse, adultery, divorce, anger, selfishness? How many churches are fractured because of division and gossip? How many people are suffering financial problems because of greed and coveting? How many people have health issues because of alcoholism or having multiple sex partners outside of marriage? And the list can go on and on. The reality is so much suffering that goes on in our world, so much pain, suffering, hurt in our world, in our lives, it comes back to a, the least common denominator, and it's this, sin. It just is. Sin brings pain and hurt and destruction, negative effects and negative results all the time into our life. Whenever we decide, I'm going to do my own thing, we will reap the consequences in the here and now. So that's what Jesus says to, about one thing. But he says the second thing, this, this line 
tells us another thing. Is not only are we going to experience the effects of sin now, but we will also affect, um, feel the effect of sin in the eternal. Because when he says, sin no more or something worse may happen to you. I sat and thought about that. I'm like, when Jesus said that to the guy, do you think the guy went, worse? I've been paralyzed for 30 years. I've been a beggar for 38 years. What more could be worse than that? Simple. Jesus is like, dude, there's something far worse than you just experienced in 38 years of, of being paralyzed. He goes, it's basically this. If you want to continue to live in your life of sin, if you, you know, Jesus says, sin no more. Stop sinning. Because something worse will happen to you. Well, here's the worst. He's like, dude, if you, if you continue to live this way, you want to live in your sin? You want to live life on your terms? You want to live apart from God and his word? Go ahead. Because there's something far more worse than you being paralyzed for 30 years, 38 years. That far more worse is this, is that when you die, you will die in your sin and you will die apart from God. And you will be eternally separated from God in hell. That is the worst. And how many of you know, um, being separated from God for eternity in hell is a whole lot worse than anything you and I experience on this earth. Because that's eternal. It's forever. What we go through now is only temporary. And Jesus is telling this guy, stop doing your sin. Stop sinning. Because what you think is bad now doesn't compare to the worst thing that will happen to you. You see, sin has both earthly and eternal consequences. And a healthy view of, that, of, of sin is to know that. It's a, ha- a healthy view says, man, if I keep living in this sin, I'm going to experience the earthly consequences of it, but I will also experience eternal consequences of it. And a healthy view says, man, I don't want that to happen. But you see, this is where spirit, the spiritual disability of spiritual blindness comes in. Spiritual blindness keeps you and me from, from seeing that truth, from knowing that truth, from even caring for that truth. Because spiritual blindness keeps us blind to the truth of our sin. It keeps us blind to the truth of knowing that, you know what, if I keep living for self and living in my sin, I'm going to reap the consequences in my life. Spiritual blindness keeps me from that truth. So that way I just reap destruction all the time in my life. Spiritual blindness keeps me the truth of that, the fact that my sin will separate me from God for all eternity. Keeps me blind to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Spiritual blindness, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it blinds us to the light of Christ. It blinds us to the light and the truth of the gospel. It blinds you to the fact that you are a sinner lost in your sin forever, and the only thing that can save you is Jesus Christ. To come to him by faith and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you. But spiritual blindness keeps you from that. It's only Jesus that opens the eyes of our heart. It opened, he opens our eyes and then all of a sudden we see and realize, wow, my sin was crippling me. My sin was taking me nowhere. My sin was put, had me on the highway to hell really fast. And I was careening headfirst into that hole. But Jesus 
opens our eyes. And when we have our eyes opened, we all of a sudden have a view of what sin is. And we realize a healthy view of sin says there are both earthly and eternal consequences. Here's the second thing. The second thing is having a healthy view means knowing not everything bad that happens to me is because of sin. Knowing that not everything that, bad, that, that is bad that is happening to me is the cause of sin. And I am hoping that this point brings freedom to somebody. You see, when you hear point number one, and you're hearing about sowing and reaping, you're hearing about that if you keep on sinning, you're just going to reap the consequences of that sin, and bad things are coming into your, into your life. So when you hear Jesus say to this guy, hey, sin no more or something worse for you, here's the, here's the, the, the vein that we can get in. Here's the, the, the lane that you're driving down. So you're saying, Jim, that everything bad that comes into my life is because I'm sinning. How many of you know that's, that's, that's bad? That's bad news right there. But here's the thing where I'm going to show you biblically. Not everything bad in your life is because you're sinning. And I'm going to show you that here in a few moments. But here's, here's the reality of some people, though. The reality of some people is they believe to their core everything that bad has come in my life is because of sin. Do you remember last week when I said that um, churches and denominations, pastors, we, we have our list of do's and don'ts to try to, you know, just like the Pharisees tried to mandate rules to regulate behavior. There are churches and pastors that mandate rules to regulate the behavior of their congregation. Okay. They think, well, if we just tell people not to play cards and not to go to movies and, 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 don't, and, and, and you don't go swim together, uh, you, you don't drink anything, you don't eat certain foods. You know, if, if we can just get our congregation to obey all these man-made rules, they'll act better. They'll be more godly. And all it does is keep people hindered. Another thing that pastors and churches can do is this. And they will tell you, if you, keep, if you sin and, and you do things wrong, God's punishing you. Because everything bad in your life is God punishing you. You've got cancer, God's punishing you. You better figure out your sin. You lost your job, God's punishing you because of sin. And what, what this does is the, the, all of a sudden we start to believe to our core that everything bad that comes into my life is because I'm sinning. People will live with the idea of just wait. If they, if they do sin, they're just waiting for the shoe to fall. Man, when's God bringing the hammer down? And they're just waiting. They're just, they just know something bad's about to happen, and they're just waiting for God to bring it down. What, what, what's going to happen? When's it going to happen? Why? Well, I, I sinned. And so what churches try to do to, to govern behavior is, is tell people, hey, you better be good. You better act right. You better make sure you're at church all the time. You better make sure you're a servant. You better make sure you don't sin because if you do or you don't do this, God is going to punish you. And a lot of people don't live for God because we love him. We don't sit there and serve God and, and, and try to worship God because, as Paul said, in view of his mercy, we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. No, no, no. We live for God out of fear. Well, I better serve God really well because if I don't, he's chopped my head off or something. 
Man, I, 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 bet, I better, I bet, man, if I sin, if I, if I, if I cuss, if I, if, I, if I say something, if I do something, life's just going to go to hell in a handbasket. I better not. And so people, out of fear, live for God. Not out of joy. Not out of love. Not out of the understanding of what Christ did for me and because of his mercy and his compassion to me. No. It's all out of fear. So what happens is we got to have a healthy view of, of sin. Like I said, one view, the pendulum swings way too far. And people have the view that it's flippant. My view towards sin is it's no big deal. I can live how I want. I'm going to be okay. So we just live in sin. It's not a big deal. But the other way the pendulum swings is that people believe every time I do something wrong, God's going to punish me. Everything bad in my life is because I must be sinning and God is punishing me. And I want to tell you today, that is not the case. And here's some biblical support to support that. John chapter 9. And we're going to get to John chapter 9 somewhere down the road. So by the time I preach this, you'll forget I even said this. But John chapter 9 verses 1 through 3. Jesus and his disciples are walking along the streets. And it says, as they went along, they saw a, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now stop there. So they see this guy. He's, we don't know how old he is, but from birth, he was born blind. And notice, he's like, who sinned? You see, in Jesus' time, the, the Jewish people were taught, if you disobey God, curses are coming. If you obey God, blessings are coming. So in their mind... Being born blind, well, that's a curse. So obviously, this guy did something wrong. Now, I love that. They asked, he was born blind from birth. Who sinned, him or his parents? My question is, if you were born blind at birth, how in the world were you sinning? Sinning in the womb? What are you doing wrong? Okay, but their mentality was all about judgment. God's brought the judgment hammer down. Him or his parents, one of them, sinned enough where God was like, that's it, blind. You're going to suffer. You sinned. But look at what Jesus says. And Jesus says to his disciples, neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. The man wasn't born blind because of sin. The man was born blind because God allowed it for a reason. And that reason was like, God's gonna, I'm going to show up one day and wow people of what I can do. Now you may, well, that just doesn't seem fair. Well, the problem is we're not God. And God can still do what he wants to do. And he allowed this to happen to this guy. But the guy was not born blind out of God saying it wasn't judgment or punishment. It was God's will for it to happen. But the parents or him, they did nothing wrong. It wasn't because of sin. How about you ever take a look at the apostles? If you look at, read the book of Acts, it says Paul and, or John and Peter were imprisoned and in jail, not because they were sinners, but because they were preaching. Stephen, in Acts chapter 6, was arrested and then stoned, 
Not because it says that he was sinning badly, but because he was performing amazing wonders in the name of God. And he was preaching. The Apostle Paul was persecuted and imprisoned, flogged, beaten, stoned so many times, all because he was a sinner. No. He says, I was persecuted so many times because I preached the gospel. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was thrown in prison and then beheaded because he was a wicked sinner. No. He was not thrown in prison and beheaded because of his sin. It was because he called out the sin of King Herod. When you look at the people, the apostles, were they perfect? Absolutely not. They were still sinners. But they were not persecuted and beaten and flogged and all this stuff. All the bad things did not come in their life because God was like, well, you guys are sinners. I got to punish you again. Up, You messed up again. I'm going to punish you again. No, it was because they were doing the exact thing for God. They were doing the right thing for God. It wasn't because of their sin. Listen, we need to understand that you will go through very difficult times, trying times, hard times. Bad things will come into your life, not because you are sinning, because there are times where God will simply allow it. We know that First Peter says the fiery trials come upon you because God is going to time test your faith. He's not disciplining. Now, here's the thing. We've already seen, as I said in point number one, there are times that we, yes, we reap consequences because we choose to sin. It's going to happen. There are also times that we know, as Hebrews 12 says, that God does discipline us. If you're sinning, God's going to try to wake you up, okay? He's going to try to get you to see, I'm, oh, wow, I'm, I'm messing up. I need to get right with God again. He will discipline us. But what we need to understand, every bad thing coming into your life is not because of sin. It could be simply that God is allowing it for a reason. It's just simply that God is saying, I need this to happen in their life. And it's just for us to be able to trust it. Now, does that mean that you and I should never examine our life? Should you at times, if there's something going on in your life, something bad, should you step back and go, is there something there that I'm doing that I should not be doing? And you examine your life and you turn from it, you repent and you, Jesus, I'm, you confess it. Yes, we should be doing that. But if you can look at your life and go, man, I, I'm not doing anything. Then you need to just understand that, you know what? God has you in a trial for a reason. And it's not necessarily because of any sin. Now, here's another reason why you may believe, you know, some people, like I said, some people just to the core of their being believe that God's punishing me. And maybe this is you. It's because of the environment you grew up in. You had parents and perhaps a dad that every time you did something wrong, punishment. You, you said something, you did something, you didn't do something, and you got punished. And now... Every time. And so what you do is you equate your relationship with God to the relationship with you, with your earthly father. 
because of your earthly father. Because if you grew up in a home that was very harsh, demanding, strict, restrictive, somewhat maybe an abusive, but every time you did something wrong, you got the, you got the belt, you got the switch, you got the hand, you got the smack across the face, you, got the, you were yelled at, whatever it was, but you can never do it right. So now what you do is you equate your relationship with God to that, and every time you do something wrong, you're, God's punishing me. And you feel like you can never measure up. Every time you do something wrong, you're just waiting. God's going, I know he's going to do it. Because you always had to wait for your dad. I grew up in a home like that. And I'm telling you, I'm 55 this year. I've been a pastor for almost 21 years. And I told Paula, there are still times that I feel like I got to measure up to God. Because I grew up with a very, very angry dad. Before he got saved, it was too late for me. And, and I remember the razor strap. I remember the belt. I remember the tree limb. I remember the slap across the face. I can remember my mom, and the, this would always bring terror. Wait till your dad, get, dad gets home. He worked second shift. And I remember going to bed, and I couldn't sleep because I, at 1230, He'd wake me up, and I'd be beaten for something I did. And so to this day, I still equate my relationship with God and think, man, I did that. God's going to punish me. And I'm telling you, it takes so much for me to break out of that and to realize everything bad in my life is not God punishing me. Everything bad in my life, just, you know, I messed up. God's not bringing the hammer down. He's not bringing the switch. He's not bringing the switch. He's not bringing the razor strap. He's not bringing the belt across my back. He loves me. Is he going to times discipline me to get my butt in gear? Yes. But everything that goes wrong in my life is not God abusing me. Is not God beating me. Is not God punishing me. And I'm telling you, some of you have been spiritually disabled for a long time in your life because you think I'm being punished by God because that's what you grew up with. And you've got to be able to come to the place of knowing and going, you know what? When I mess up, God is his first, his first reaction is not to punish I believe his first reaction is to show compassion, to try to get us to, to, hey, let's not do that. Some of you are spiritually disabled because of this. You have an unhealthy view because you believe everything bad in your life is because God is punishing you because of some sin. And it's not. You may just be going through a trial Bad things may be coming into your life because you know what? God is just simply saying, I need to do this in their life. I need to train them. I need to grow them. In my love, I got to allow this into their life. But it's not because he's punishing you. It's not because he's like, well, they did it again. Wait till I get home. See, the healthy view understands, yeah, sin's wrong. I don't want sin in my life. But it Every bad thing doesn't mean that God is punishing me. Here's the third thing, and I think this one helps with this, the second point. Here's the third 
healthy view. And it's this. A healthy view means knowing Jesus comes to me despite my sin, but desires for me not to sin. So again, it says afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Notice that word found. That that word found means to learn the whereabouts of something, to discover, to come upon. It's the same word as in um, chapter 1, verse 43, when it says that Jesus went and found Philip and called Philip to serve him. So here's Jesus. Now, it could be that Jesus was just at the temple when this guy was at the temple and found him there. But I think it's almost Jesus intentionally looking for this guy. Asked around, hey, you know what? I, I, th- there was a guy that was by the pool of Bethesda. He'd been there for 38 years. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. I know Bob. Well, I need to find Bob. Do you know where he's at? Hey, I just saw, saw, actually, I just saw him at the temple. And he goes to the temple. And he finds him. And he looks at this guy. And he says, hey, I see you're well. You're still walking. Sin no more. You see, I love that because here's the thing. Jesus told him to sin no more. So obviously, um, the guy didn't get his act together quite right yet, right? He wasn't like, oh, I'm healed. Praise God. I'm going to church. Okay, he was like, he got to the temple, but he was still a mess. He was still a sinner. And what I love about this is that how many of you know, how many of you ever hear people, maybe you said this, I found Jesus. How many of you know no one finds Jesus? Guess who finds who? Jesus finds you. It's kind of like we have this idea that, man, I I did something that caused Jesus to come to me. Like it's our result. It's up to us to, to bring the spiritual results. No, it's not. In your sin, in your sinfulness, you're not finding Jesus. No, in your sinfulness, Jesus is coming to you. Despite your sin. Jesus came to this guy, despite the fact that he was not all that. He was still, I don't even know if he took a shower. He's probably still pretty smelly after 38 years. He couldn't get to the pool. So I'm like, if you can't get to the pool, you're probably not taking a bath anywhere. So he probably stunk, dirty, and sinful. And Jesus is like, sin no more. Man. Jesus doesn't give up on you. You may be a sinner. You may still be sinful. You still may, you you may blow it. You may blow it seven times in a day. And that's what I love about Jesus is like, he's telling his disciples, he's like, listen, if someone sins against you seven times, forgive them. And he's not telling it because he's telling them. He's telling them because that's what he does. Jesus is like, listen, I'm telling you to do it because this is what I do. If someone comes to me seven times in a day and say, Jesus, I I sinned, I will forgive them every single time. See, Jesus comes after us. He seeks you. You don't seek him. He desires you. You never desire him. He came after us. He left heaven, died on a cross for you and me. While we were dead in our sin, he dies on a cross. He comes after you and me. And he still pursues you, even in your sin, even in your, as a believer, you blow it. He still pursues you. He doesn't quit on you. He doesn't give up on you. He does never, ever write you off. He's like, man, I want you. I want to be in a relationship with you. And he goes after this guy, but he says one thing to this guy, sin no more. 
You see, Jesus comes to us despite our sinfulness, but guess what his desire is always? Sin no more. He, he had the woman who was caught in adultery, and everybody was looking to stone her. But when Jesus is like, man, throw the first stone. Those of you without sin, go ahead. Nobody does. They all left. He looks at the woman, and he's like, who condemns you? And she's like, nobody does. And he goes, and neither do I. But he doesn't stop there. Now leave your life of sin. Man, Jesus came after her. He, he, he fought for her. He, he, he stood by her. He, 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 he didn't condemn her. He didn't. He, no, he, he loved her, but he challenged her. He loved this guy, but he challenges him. Man, I'm here for you. I came after you. I came. I, I. The Savior took the initiative to find a shaky beggar. I wonder if that guy was still trying to get used to his legs. Like, whoa. And there he was, the staggering, sinful beggar being found by Jesus. And Jesus says, dude, sin no more. Isn't that the same with you and me? In our sin, Jesus isn't writing us off. When you sin, when you blow it, when you, as a believer, you sin seven times in a day, Jesus is like, well, you maxed out. I'm done. No, he's still there, and he's still coming after us. He's just looking at us going, hey, why don't you turn to me, confess your sin, repent, and let's move on. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Let's not do it anymore. He's in this relationship with us until forever and ever. And he's in this relationship with you right now because he, it's weird to think this way, he believes in you. If God didn't believe in us, he would never have sent Jesus to die for us. He dies for us so we can have that relationship with him, and that relationship is forever. And all Jesus keeps telling us is this, sin no more. Once you sin, if you, if you blow it, man, get right with God. Just turn and just be real. God, I blew it again. I, I, I confess my sin. Help me, Jesus. I don't want to be here. Holy Spirit, empower me to come over the, overcome this thing. I don't want to be here. Because I don't want to sin no more. And I'm telling you, when you have a healthy view of sin, and you realize that your sin can never, ever cause Jesus to turn away from you, when you have a healthy sin to realize Jesus loves you in your mess, but he wants to get you out of your mess, and he wants, to he wants you to live a mess-free life, that changes everything inside of you. That brings spiritual healing. That causes spiritual disability. If you feel like you're stuck because of your sin, man, all you got to do is just give it to Jesus. And Jesus, the healer, the doctor, brings healing to the spiritual mess. He just wants you to just, here it is, Jesus. Take it all and help me sin no more. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's get ready to close. Let me close this with a word of prayer. Father, we are so blessed by your word. We're blessed to know that, Jesus, you, you came after us. We didn't hunt you down. We didn't seek you because, Lord, in our sin, uh, we never seek you. We never desire you. But while we were sinners and dead, and Jesus, you died for us. You have given us life when we don't deserve it. 
And Lord, I just pray for spiritual healing for people. If anyone over these past few weeks have identified and come to that place where they admit they are spiritually disabled, I pray, Jesus, they will bring it to you. Maybe there are people here spiritually blind and they don't know you as their savior. They don't realize their sin is gonna separate them from you for all eternity. And I pray that, that Jesus, even right now, you could just speak to hearts and say, come to me. Quit wasting all your time and energy on things that aren't gonna save you. Come to me. And Lord, I just pray for all those who are, are believers in here who, who are spiritually stuck, spiritually disabled. And maybe it's been by man-made rules, a wrong view of sin. Lord, whatever it may be, I pray that people will just say, Jesus, help me. Here it is. And I pray for spiritual health and healing, God. For people to be able to move forward people to be able to confess and admit their, their disability spiritually and be able to identify it, give it to you. And I pray you'll bring that healing, Father. And I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.